You might notice uh, if you have been watching or if you have been here that uh, I'm not Chris. It's, it's okay. I, I've, I've dealt with that for a lot of my life, not being Chris. Uh, most of it, actually. And uh, I get to be here today, though, because Chris and Silas, his son, are right now in Puerto Rico on a father-son missionary trip where they were getting to go out on sailboats and go swim in the streams of a, uh, the Puerto Rican rainforest. And they, yesterday they went to the old San Juan, and I saw a video of Chris dancing in the street with some ladies. Uh, it's, it's all kinds of fun stuff that they got going on down there. So we're excited for them. They may actually be watching us right now. So if they are, hey, Chris. Hey, Cy. What's up, guys? Um, if you're not, they'll, they'll watch it later, and they'll still get to said, be said head to, hey to, and it'll be good. Um, but I'm Patrick, and I get to, to share with you every once in a while, and I'm always excited to do that. And uh, today, I want to start by showing you a picture. We're going to put that picture up on the screen right here. Uh, right there. Yeah, there you go. There's a picture. Uh, do you guys know what that is? That, it, no, it's, not, it's not, not a couch. That is a love seat. And, and it's a very important distinction between a couch and a love seat. And I'm, I've got a picture of a love seat up there, not because I've like, developed some passion for the, the uh, furniture of the middle class of the 80s and 90s, but because, and not because I'm trying to sell them, like I haven't decided to make love seats and sell them, but because there's some really good information about love seats that you need to know. Uh, one, the average length of a standard love seat is 58 inches long, including the arms, like from the outside of each arm all the way across 58 inches. Uh, I stand at about six foot two. And the reason that love seat is there is because I have spent a many, many a night curled up on a love seat at someone else's house. Uh, you, you see, when I got out of high school, uh, pretty much like I went to graduation and I came home, and my uh, stepdad had cooked a couple of uh, pork shoulders, and so I had a party and ate some pork shoulders, and then I got in my car, and I went out into the wide, wide world, uh, never to return and live at my mom and dad's house again. All right, let's be fair. I went to church camp. Uh, I left from graduation party and went to church camp, and from there, I went to my sister's house until I went to college in the fall. But, I mean, let's, let's pretend like this is a better story. But while I was at my sister's house, I slept on a love seat. For the whole summer. And when you get all just over six foot of me curled up on a love seat, sleeping for multiple nights at a time, it gets a little interesting. And you know what? That's a great story and by itself would be enough of an illustration. But for some reason in my early college years and just out of high school years, I spent a lot of time on different people's love seats. Over and over again, I went and stayed at my other sister's house for uh, a couple of months, uh, a love seat. I got a, a place down at the beach with some friends one summer. Yeah, I was the one on the love seat for the whole summer. My entire last semester of college was spent sleeping on a love seat in a buddy's mom's house. Hey, Miss Carol. Um, but here's the thing I know. Here's the thing I know. What these places all have in common, not just the fact that I would scrunch up in the fetal position nightly on their, a piece of their furniture, but that these, I was doing that because these people had done something amazing. They had opened up their homes to me. 
their lives to me. They let me come in and stay with them, eat their food, be a part of their family, and, and yes, sleep on their love seats. We've spent the last uh, five weeks in a teaching series called Lost Arts, where we've been looking at this idea that there are some attitudes and some, and some things that have gone by the wayside as we have progressed in time and that have become lost. Uh, Chris has handled the other five weeks, and he did a great job. He talked about patience and, and purity, faithfulness and, and forgiveness. And then last week, he talked about being peacemakers and how important that was. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to those as he, they were coming out, they are all on the podcast. You can go and get that wherever podcasts are downloaded, or you can go to jointheventure.com slash resources or slash podcast. Either one will get you there. And check those out because they are absolutely worth listening to to see this idea of these lost arts and how if we bring them back in and we make them habits in our lives, that not only will it help us to be better followers of Jesus Christ, but if we could convince the world to do it, the world itself would be better. And today I'm going to wrap up this teaching series uh, because we're going to start something brand new next week on Easter Sunday. Be sure and invite your friends to that. But I'm going to wrap it up talking about the lost art of hospitality. The lost art of hospitality. And uh, I can already see some of your, your eyes are scrunching up. Uh, you're, you're looking at me. You're like, uh, first of all, what is hospitality? Like, really? What is it exactly? And is it really a lost art? I mean, I've been to people's houses. I, they've been kind to me. I get it. Uh, well, you know what? I, you're coming on a little bit strong, and I just want you to back right off, okay? Um, I'm going to answer your questions, and it's going to be fine. But uh, here, here's, here's what it is. Hospitality, if we answer the first question first. What is hospitality? This is what dictionary.com says. It says, hospitality is the friendly reception and treatment of guests and, or strangers or it is the quality or disposition of receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. That, that's hospitality. That, that makes sense. Hospitality is showing kindness to the people that are coming into our homes, kindness to the people that are coming into our lives. It's a very clear-cut definition, and I can see some of you now are getting a little concerned that that might not give us a good answer for the second one of, is this really a lost art? Well, I'm going to do one of those things that you're not supposed to do with this, and I'm going to answer your question with another question. Because that's, that's just what I'm doing this morning. Uh, I, I've got the microphone. I will do that. Uh, here's the question, though. What is the difference between hospitality and entertaining? What is the difference between hospitality and entertaining? Because I think that in the answer to this question, we will find the lost art of hospitality. You see, when I think about entertaining, I, I realize that it's, to me, it seems more like shouting, look at me, look at me, look at the things I can do. You know, it's like Stuart on the old Mad TV, look at me. Um, you, the woes of you that know it, know it. And if you don't, it's not worth Googling. Um, I did not have that in my notes on purpose. Like, I literally did not mean to do that. Uh, I thought about it twice and said, no, don't. But anyway, but entertaining is look at me. It's, it's look at all the stuff that I've accumulated. Look at how nice I made my house look. Look at the place setting that I figured out. Look at how fancy I can fold this napkin. But hospitality is, let me look at you 
and see what you need to make you comfortable. That's, that's the difference between entertaining and, and hospitality. Uh, there's a blog writer by the name of Jen Wilkin, and she puts it this way in one of her blogs. She says, entertaining is always thinking about the next course. Hospitality burns the rolls because they were too busy listening to a story. Entertaining obsesses over what went wrong. Hospitality savors what was shared. Entertaining, exhausted, says, oh, it was nothing, really. But hospitality says it was nothing, really. Entertaining seeks to impress. Hospitality seeks to bless. And that right there is where we find our lost art. That right there is where we find the difference in what the world sees as being uh, hospitable and what true biblical hospitality is because to show true hospitality you have to be able to put yourself aside for just a minute and focus completely on the needs of someone else you have to put me aside and think about what they want and friends as americans and as human beings that is one of the hardest things that we can do in our lives John Piper writes this. He says, The physical force of gravity pulls everything towards the center of the earth. In order to break free from earth-centered life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push the space shuttle away from the center. There is also a psychological force of gravity that constantly pulls our thoughts and affections and physical actions inward toward the center of our own selves and of our own homes. We've got built into us a survival mechanism that pulls our thoughts and our minds back to us and to our families and to our homes. And we pull it there and it sits there. And until we can find the two tons of rocket fuel that will push our thoughts from me to you and from us to them, we're going to just keep hearing repeats of the same old tunes and the same old excuses I'd love to invite you over, but I would just die if you figured out how dusty the top of my refrigerator is. I I would love to invite you over, but there's still dishes in the sink from last night, and I would be so embarrassed. I would love to invite the guys over to watch a game at my house, but I've only got a 52-inch TV, and it's not even 4K. And we see these excuses and we make these excuses and we understand that my house is too messy and I don't have time to keep it clean. My kids are too crazy. My dog is is wild. I have this thing happening or that thing happening and life is just too busy. Life is just too fast. It's too full and I just don't have the time. And you know what, guys? I get it. I absolutely 100% get it. I am right there with you. I am on the same page. My life is also busy. I am a father of four children. I work a full-time job. I, I volunteer here at Adventure Church as much as I possibly can. I run a weekly Dungeons and Dragons style event that uh, takes up a bunch of my time to get prepped and do, which I know is is whatever, but I like it, whatever. Um, It makes me busy. And then I, on top of that, I'm also the Cub Master for the largest Cub Scout pack in our whole council. 
and in possibly all of eastern North Carolina, I get it. I understand busy. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Hospitality isn't just being kind. Hospitality isn't just a cool idea, isn't just something that your grandma tried to teach you as you were growing up. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, hospitality is a biblically commanded imperative. Let me say that again. If you call yourself a true follower of Jesus Christ, hospitality is a biblically commanded imperative. It is something that we are meant to be doing constantly and consistently, whatever excuse that we've got on our lips. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, Peter has been talking about how it's different and how it's strange and how things have changed when you become a follower of Jesus. And then this is what he says. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So not only is he telling us in the midst of all of these giant things, when he's talking about how we love, which is the greatest commandment, he says you do it by showing hospitality. And you show hospitality without grumbling, which is a little bit more difficult, I'll admit. But this is what he says, and it's not even, not even just Peter. If we look at the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 13, he says it's kind of the same thing. He says, keep on loving one another, brothers and sisters. There's that love word again. And do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Which I think is pretty cool. And uh, we see that biblically, that that happened several times. But it's right there again. Show hospitality. And it's tied right in once again to that greatest commandment of love. Making hospitality an imperative. But we're not done yet. We can go one more. Because the Apostle Paul agreed as well in Romans chapter 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Look at that list of things that we're supposed to be doing. The things that are describing what God's love is. And he wraps it all up in a nice little bow at the end. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. So let's say, let's say that we agree. We agree right now in this room, and, and those of you who are watching online, that hospitality is an imperative. Hospitality is something that we should be doing as followers of Jesus. But I'm still busy. I, I still have things that have to get done for my job and for my family. So what do I do next? How do I begin to implement this in my life? How do I break free of the gravity of self and start to look out towards others? Well, I gave a lot of thought to this this week. I read a lot of blogs. I, I did a lot of digging and research. And 
I came back to the answer that was my very first answer to begin with, and uh, I think the best answer for most of the questions of how we should be acting in our lives, and that is we emulate the one who did it the best. If we want to get better at showing hospitality, we look at someone who has shown the greatest amount of hospitality that has ever happened in all of time, and we do what he did. Of course, I am talking about Jesus. Here's the gist of our sermon today, guys. We need to be more like Jesus. Shocker. Guys, I'm telling you, this is really what it's all about. Just about everything else that we're doing in our lives and in our time that we're following Jesus, we want to try to be more like him. But right now, I'm not talking about being more like him morally. I'm not saying that we have to do all the things that, I mean, we should, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not saying we had to be like Jesus in his perfection, because that's never going to happen. But what I want to look at is the way that Jesus interacted with people while he was here on this planet. While he was walking around in the flesh, how did he interact with people? Well, he ate with sinners, and he hung out with tax collectors, and he spent time talking with the outcast and with the downtrodden, and he poured himself into his friends and into his family, and he did it all with joy. When I was a kid going to camp, which is great, and if you haven't signed up your kids for camp yet, it is filling up quickly, so you should do that. Uh, See Emily, she'll give you information about it, or Philip. Uh, But when I was a kid going to church camp, there was a period of time where every week I went to, and I went to everyone that was available because uh, I love camp. That was just my thing. And there was a period of time where every week I went to, they wanted to show this one set of videos. They, They were called the Matthew tapes. I don't know what the real name of them was, but that was what they were called there were the Matthew tapes. And what I'll admit, I've watched them many times, and there wasn't a whole lot that stuck with me. But there was one thing about the Matthew tapes that they absolutely did right. And, uh, and it was the actor that portrayed Jesus. My goodness gracious. He, oh. I got a picture of him here. Let me throw this up. Um, this is the guy. His name is George something. I can't remember his last name, but his name is definitely George. And that, that smile that he's got on his face right there. That was through the whole thing. And the Matthew tapes were, were the series where they took the whole book of Matthew and they redid it word for word through the whole thing. And, and this right here, I, I, I'll tell, I'm, be clear, I don't believe this is what Jesus actually looked like. I, I, I just might make that, make that statement out there. I, I, I believe that he was more Hasidic than that. But, but that smile, oh man. That smile right there was what made me as a child believe that Jesus could love me. Because even when he was talking about pulling the plank out of your eye, where he actually picked up a log and stuck it in his face, like, come on, guys, just pull the plank out of your eye before you talk about the speck in somebody else's. Or when he was saying, oh, ye of little faith to Peter, and shaking his head, he had that smile. And there, sitting and learning about who Jesus was, that was what I wanted my Jesus to be. And as we dig in and as we see the things that Jesus has done and the way that he interacted with so many different 
people, I believe that this smile is a godly smile. That this smile is the kind of smile that Jesus had. And it warms my heart to think about it. So how do we capture that? How do we capture that infectious, absolute love that pours out and radiates from that? How do we recover this lost art? I've got three things we can do. Three absolutely practical things that we can do to recover this lost art. And and they're not difficult things. They're, They're very small things, but as we pull them together, they will add up and they will help us to be more and more like Jesus, the most hospitable person to ever live. And here's where we start. And the first one is very simple. We welcome everyone that we meet. We welcome everyone that we we meet. And and I mean that literally. I mean make a point to greet everyone that you see. Say hello. Say hi. Say what's up. Give them the nod. You know know what I'm talking about. Just acknowledge their presence. Acknowledge that they walked into the room. Acknowledge that you see that they are a human being and they deserve your attention even if it's just for that moment. Absolutely welcome them that way. But more than that, welcome them. Not just greet them, but welcome them. Make them believe that you honestly are glad that they are there. And to do that, you're going to have to honestly be glad that they are there. There's a story about Jesus uh, with a certain tax collector. And, uh, and I say story, and I'm always wary to say story when I'm talking about biblical things. Because when you're talking about biblical things and stories, it, it sounds farcical. It, it sounds uh, like it was made up. But this is a, a true story about Jesus and a tax collector. And it's found in Luke chapter 19. And this is a little bit uh, larger passage. I know I've been all over the place. And honestly, I'm going to keep being all over the place. But if you want to follow along, I'm going to be in Luke 19 uh, from verses 1 through 10. And this is what happens there. Jesus entered the town of Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since he knew that Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people who saw this began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus welcomed Zacchaeus. Jesus pulled him in, called him in, and welcomed him even when Zacchaeus was climbing up in a tree because no one wanted to give him space to get through. 
because he was an evil tax collector. Because unlike the, the nice tax collectors that we have nowadays, back then, tax collectors would just make up their own numbers. They'd just go to you and be like, hey, uh, I believe that you owe me 75 shekels of silver. And the guy would be like, I, I don't think so. I paid it yesterday. He'd be like, nope, this is what my, my ledger says. And they would have to give it to him. Because otherwise, he could throw them in jail until they paid it back. And I don't know if you know this, but you don't make a lot of money in jail in the first century. So you don't ever get out. And so people didn't like tax collectors. People didn't like Zacchaeus specifically. I mean, there's even a song about him being called a wee little man. That's not kind. But here Jesus sees this guy that the whole town dislikes. And he says, hey, I want to come to your house. I want to be part of your life. I want to get to know you. And this is what Jesus did. Even when the people around him scoffed and laughed and gestured and said, oh, what are you doing? Jesus was able to pull away from the gravity of self and welcome with open arms the stranger and the sinner. And boy, am I glad that he did. So we need to welcome everyone that we meet. The next thing we need to do is a building of that, and that is that we need to truly engage with people. To not just greet them, not just speak to them, but to listen to them and to understand their stories. Because here's the truth of the matter. Our lives in the end are just the stories that we have to tell about it. We are all just stories, and when we get to know the stories of the people around us, it will help us to connect to them in a deeper way, to engage with them in a more meaningful way so that we can see and share that hospitality that is seeking to bring them comfort because we know what it is that they're lacking. And Jesus was the master of this. Over and over again, Jesus learned about the lives and the hopes and the dreams of his close friends, the disciples. But he also had times like this where in Matthew 5, a woman had been sick for 12 years, came up to Jesus in a crowd and just reached out and touched the hem of his robe so that she could be healed. And Jesus felt the power go out from him and he stops and he interacts with this lady. And he says, I know your story. I know what's happening. I know what you did and I am proud of you. Go, you are healed forever. Or in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus is greeted by a lady of ill repute with an alabaster jar, that the people sitting around the table with him say, if you knew what she was, you wouldn't let her put her hands on you. And Jesus says, I know exactly who she is. She is my daughter. She is my love. She is my life. Jesus understood people's stories. And, and I'm going to tell you, I don't expect you to have the divine gift of knowing people's stories. I, I don't expect you to be able to just have somebody touch your sock and be like, oh, I know everything that happened in your life. I, I don't have a hem of a robe, so I figured sock was the next best thing. Um, I don't expect you to be able to look at them in the face and just know everything that's happened. But there's this really cool thing that they invented years ago that will help you to, to figure that out, and it's called conversation. If you sit and you talk and you listen and you truly pay attention to the stories that people are telling about their life, 
you'll be able to really engage with them in a meaningful, powerful, spiritual way. And then you'll know how to bless them and you'll know how to encourage them. And you do that by listening. You do that by living life together. By spending time together. By having conversations at the coffee shop or at a restaurant or around your dinner table. Which actually leads me to the last thing that is the, the three big things that I'm giving you today. So we got to welcome everyone we meet. And then we need to engage with people. And the last one is we need to make meals a priority. We need to make meals a priority because here's the thing. There's something amazing that happens when you share food with another human being. There is a, a vulnerability that you have to put on as you sit down and you open your mouth constantly, shoveling in fuel to make your body function. And it's amazing how much people can open up and how many walls can be broken down when there's a hot dog involved or when there's a steak involved or when there is pasta salad because you know if you're sitting down and you're sharing a meal together that everything's okay for that moment, for that time, that it's all right to be open. And I think that God did that on purpose. I don't know for sure, but I truly believe that God did it on purpose because God is perfect and amazing and he doesn't have to eat and he doesn't have to have substance put into his body to make it function. He could have totally built human beings to never need to imbibe anything. But he didn't. He gave us the need to sleep and to rest and to replenish our bodies with fuel. And I think it's because he knew the social interactions that could happen when you sit down around a table or around some couches or outside on a blanket or at a, a picnic table or just standing up in a circle. Whatever it is that you are making yourself vulnerable to someone else by showing, them do, showing you do this all the time. Because chewing is weird, and we all do it, and it's all weird every time. and Everybody does it differently, but it's still weird. And we make ourselves vulnerable, and it's amazing. And what's also crazy is if you go back through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you look at the miracles that are performed, there are so many of them that have to do with food. The Israelites in the desert being given the manna and the, the, the quail, to, to eat and sustain as they're going through the wilderness. The, the Passover itself, that they had to eat the whole of the lamb. The food was happening, and it was the lamb and the, the killing of it and the blood that made them survive that night. And when you get into Jesus' ministry, his very first miracle that he performs was to turn water into wine so that a party could keep going. But then he gets out on a hill, and he's got 3,000 men, not to mention women and children, are listening to him, and he says, feed them. And he does a miracle that feeds 3,000. And then later on, he does the same thing again. But this time it's 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And he just keeps doing that. After his resurrection, he sits on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he cooks breakfast for his disciples. And he spends that intimate moment with them, vulnerable, 
saying, here I am. Let me show you love. Let me show you service. Let me do for you. And that's what hospitality is all about. That is the part of the art that we have lost. Is that breaking free of the gravity of self. And letting us be servants of them. In love. Not to show how awesome we are. Not to show how fancy our napkins are. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those things. You can still be awesome. You can still keep a neat house. You can still do all the fancy stuff. I'm still going to make meatloaf and invite people over and go, ain't that the best meatloaf you've ever had? That's going to happen. And it is, isn't it, James? Say it. Yes, he said it. Uh, I don't know if he's telling the truth or not, but I believe it. Um, It's okay to do those things, but it's about why you're doing it. Are you doing it because you want the accolades? Or are you doing it because you truly want to pour into another human being? And right now, COVID is weird. Right now, the world is in a pandemic. Yes, we've gotten opened up. We can have 100 people outside now. Woo! We're getting there. But here's the thing. It's weird to do that right now. So maybe we've got to find different ways of hospitality. Maybe it is, hey, let's jump online and play a video game. I get it. That's weird for some of us, but maybe that's what it's got to be. Maybe it's let's do a Zoom call or a a duo call or a FaceTime with someone just to say, I want to see your face as we interact because there's something important about that that you're never going to get through a text message. You're never going to get through a phone call. Hospitality is hard. It's hard work. It really is. It's putting yourself and your family and your home and everything about you out on display for people to come in and be a part of. But hospitality doesn't always look the same. And it doesn't have to always look the same. Uh, Maybe you are like my friends, the Nelsons, who when you come over to their house, you sing a prayer for your supper. Or you're like the people I watch on TV all the time that over in the, the UK that are like, hey, let, come around for a nice hot cup of tea, which I'm always down for, by the way. Um, maybe it's the southern, let's go sit on the front porch and drink a glass of sweet tea. Maybe in your family it was something different. It was cooking a special meal or just having somebody come over for a little while. When I was growing up at my grandma, every week, uh, my granny Jean would invite whoever to come over and eat lunch. She always made enough for an army, and then she, if she didn't have enough, she would open up a big, one of those big cans of uh, baked beans. It didn't matter what you were eating, baked beans went with it, according to Granny Jean. And uh, there was many, many times that there'd be 15, 20, 30 people in her little house because she was not afraid to invite people in. We need to get away from that excuse of my house isn't ready because it's never going to be ready. Let's be honest. Let's get away from the excuse of, of I'm not got enough time or I'm not got enough extra. I barely have enough for me. Because when you look at the Bible, you see that if we do what God wants us to do, he will provide. Just like the widow giving her last bread to Elisha that over and over again it was full and they were able to eat. I'm going to tell you a magic trick. If you take uh, something and you cut it up into cubes, 
You know, take your pork chop and cut it up into cubes. It multiplies. It's crazy how many kids you can feed off of one pork chop when you cube it. I'm just letting you know. But it's up to us to make that decision to be hospitable, to show true hospitality, not because we want to to show off ourselves, but because we want to bless someone else's life. And as I think back about all the people who have let me sleep on their love seats through the years, whether it was so I could afford to stay in school and finish out, or so I could be closer to my soon-to-be bride, or just so I could live at the beach one summer. I know without a doubt that that hospitality was offered to me in love. And it was hospitality that gave me that love seat to scrunch up on and be uncomfortable. But I also want to let you know that when Ashley and I got married, we bought a couch. A great big sectional couch. So that if you ever have to come crash at my place, you can stretch out. Let's pray.